0: It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. And if you are, isn't it? I know. And and if you're looking for something, the perfect gift for a friend or for yourself, I recommend maybe you can recommend it because it sounds really self-serving and narcissistic when I recommend it. Um, The wonderful oral history of Star Trek, uh, the 50-year mission. Would that be the 50-year mission? Uh, Volume one and two? volume one now i want to make an important distinction volume one available now in paperback volume two only in hardcover still right so but you can get the audio version get the digital version you can get them all because maybe you want to get all all of them you know because that would be ideal i I would prefer you get them all (laughs) because i had my my druthers as they say and then of course also our other books which are worth checking out nobody does it better also available in hardcover and now in paperback that's about Uh, james bond isn't it how'd you guess just, it's about James Bond, because nobody Indeed. does it better. That's why it's a great book about James Bond. So as you get ready for the inevitable release of uh, No Time to Die sometime in the next decade, there's no time um, to release. <laughs> you want to pick up No Time to Die again, also available on digital audio and in hardcover and paperback from uh, from Tor Forge. And uh, if you want to do a deeper dive, check out the So So Say We All our oral history of both Battlestar Galactica series, which is only available in hardcover. And I don't believe there's an audiobook. I just think it's digital. I'm not sure why they didn't do an audiobook. book. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe one we day can I'll, do something about that. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll just record <laughs> our own and we'll, we'll show them. So uh, anyway, uh, if you're thinking about the holidays and wondering what to get, please uh, check out uh, my books uh, with Ed Gross, The 50-Year Mission, Volume 1 and 2, so say we all, an oral history of Battlestar Galactica. And most recently, Nobody Does It Better, a complete oral history of the James Bond films and Spy Mania. Ed Gross will thank you. Hey, Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I, I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's you know what I love about it's, the Electric Now app? It's better it's so on video. It's so easy to use. It's, it's, it's better, really better on video. Easy. Download got... the app and you watch us. That's all there is to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff too. You go to the app store, it says Electric Now. You download it and then it, and in press, the United States press the button and there it is. There it is. And you can choose, you can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy and episodes of all your favorite electric surge podcasts. So why wait? Download the Electric Now app and start enjoying us anytime.
1: And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How
2: are you doing today, Josh?
1: Oh, I am doing very well. I'm super excited about this episode, or should I say, episodes as we go into the epic backstory of the unmade world of Wonder Woman movies. I was about to say Wonder Woman movies, but that's an instance where good grammar is bad grammar. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I don't know about you, Steve. Um, I, I don't know a lot about Wonder Woman comics. I was, you know, a casual comics kid growing up, but I was mostly a Marvel nerd. Batman was the only DC one I read. Um, but that is why we have three very excellent guests chosen for this episode. And I'm gonna let them introduce themselves so you can hear their voices. Clark, you wanna start?
3: Sure, I'll go first. Hi everyone, my name's Clark Wolf and uh, I'm an actress and host and uh, and big nerd and I'm very excited for the two guests that are on with us today. Um, when Josh reached out and said we're do- that he was doing this, like. A year ago?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, thanks to COVID and the endless (laughs) delays on, because it was supposed to come out in March? When was? June?
2: Yeah, I think over the the summer, right?
1: The first delay. It's hard to say, because we usually record uh, a month or two ahead of time. So I'm just trying to remember, yeah, we've been talking about this forever. And then it kept being like, well, maybe we should record in May for the June release. So now it's a July release. Now it's in August. Now it's in October. Uh, There's part of me that still doesn't quite believe it'll come out (laughs) on Christmas, but we'll see.
3: Yeah, I, it's been it's been in the works for a while, but I knew that uh I knew that our other two the other two guests today were the people to have on this show uh because not only do they know a lot about the general pop culture and history of Wonder Woman, but they are both avid comics readers and uh we co-hosted DC Daily together, so we would nerd out about a lot of these things behind the scenes anyway, especially with Amy in the makeup chair. We just <laughs> (laughs) You know, be talking back and forth about all the things. So uh, I think that this is going to be a really, really great episode, and I'm really happy to be a part of it.
1: Amy.
4: I will pick
3: up that baton.
4: Uh, I'm Amy Dallin. You might know me from talking about nerdy stuff all over the internet with Geek and Sundry, with DC Daily. Obviously Clark just gave us the best intro ever. Uh, but yeah, I love comics and I will magically appear in any room if you're like, let's talk about Wonder Woman. So i, was I was gonna really, really excited. Uh, you have really like excited.
1: four or five different Wonder Woman figurines right next to your head there in your room. I mean, room.
4: if they're going to keep making them, I have to keep getting <laughs> them, right? That's how that works.
1: Hector. And I'm,
5: uh, I'm Hector Navarro. I am uh, also a, a former host of DC Daily on DC Universe, RIP. And I'm um, very excited to, to uh, get to talk about these movies that were never made. And although I probably have uh, a f- a much, much, much less of a comic book uh, knowledge than Amy does, especially concerning Wonder Woman, I do like to think that I am kind of like a big picture guy. So when it comes to those big universes, Marvel, DC, you know, some of the other big sort of comic book properties that are out there, I'm the, I'm the researcher. I'm the dude that likes to kind of, you know, go from top to bottom and figure out everything that was, um, that was being done. So, uh, I also just love talking about adapting comics and superhero comics to movies. It's one of my favorite things to talk about.
1: (laughs) So this is going to be good. Perfect. Well, that's a good segue into just the origins of the comic, because especially with any adaptation, it's interesting what you choose to pull. And I think with comic books, it gets particularly crazy when the characters are so old and they've kind of been revamped and, you know, I think it's always interesting too, for people who think they know a character, then you find out that this famous origin was like, oh no, that was when they like retconned it in the 70s. (laughs) There was like 40 years before that where there was a whole different story and a whole different set of powers, maybe even different character, secret identity name. Um, One of you guys may be better at setting this up. I was just gonna point out the real most basic facts that Wonder Woman first appeared in 1941. Uh, I mean, Her origin story is its own crazy, awesome story um, about Dr. William Marston and his wife, Elizabeth Marston, and their, like, menage a trois, life partner, secret second wife, uh, Olivia Byrne, or Olive Byrne. Um, I mean, I almost almost don't want to go down too far of a tangent on that. I highly recommend anyone Google it. They just made a movie about it with maybe Luke Evans. Yeah. He's a very uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) unrealistically handsome version of (laughs) William Marston. Um, But basically (laughs) he was like a a psychologist or does anyone have a better handle on this than me? Or I can just keep prattling on.
5: I'm sure Amy has a great handle on it, but my favorite sort of frustrating fact about this era of comic book history is the thing I always like to, to remind people is that, This writer created this character to be a equal to Superman and Batman, straight up, just flat out a complete shoulder to shoulder equal. And as soon as the character was written by other writers, uh, for example, when Wonder Woman was made a part of the Justice Society, which was like the Justice League of the 40s or the Avengers of the 40s or whatever, they made Wonder Woman the secretary of that group. And that was like, other have writers fun coming your in. Come on,
1: adventure boys!
5: Come on. <laughs> I'll stay come here on. and so dust. So I think that that sort of perfectly sums up this character because her origins are are meaningful and they mean one thing. But other writers, and in the industry that she lives in, which is a male-dominated industry still to this day and has been since the '40s, other male writers won't make those connections. They won't connect to the character that way, and they'll be like, "Okay, Wonder Woman, here you go. That's where she fits," and. When we get to it later, the script that I read, I was like, that, that's happening all over this. That's exactly what's happening. You have, a, you have a male screenwriter who's writing a movie for the early 2000s and boop, and just plugging in this idea into like a generic action movie type of a thing. So that's my favorite fact about her early days or origin is that, you know, William uh, uh, Martin was doing William Olson was doing this thing and other writers would just really deflate the importance of that character.
4: So yeah, Dr. Marston is a very fascinating and very complicated figure, and it's also tough to talk to him about uh, about him in detail because, uh, like all comic book fans, we trade all kinds of stories, and some of them we know to be true, and some of them are just sort of widely held good guesses. Uh, <laughs> and you know, the members of his family would like for you to. to, to to distinguish between them. Uh, But you know, it's not easy for us to do. But we do know that they had a very unusual family arrangement. And we do know that all of the feminism you see in early Wonder Woman comics comes directly and intentionally from what they set out to do. Him in consultation with the various women in his life, uh, eventually even an uncredited co-writer that we just recently learned existed on the Golden Age books. who is technically the first woman to write Wonder Woman, which was my favorite new fact of like the 2010s. Uh, but you can see one, one thing that I love and I think makes Wonder Woman really special is that unlike a lot of other heroes, where sort of, we have to go back and kind of add in values we wish had been present at their creation or sort of read them very charitably and be like, okay, well, They were trying to do this, and if we get someone to add these elements, we can sort of shape them into what the modern world needs it to be. And that's always gonna be true to a certain extent with anything created in, let's say, the early 1940s. But Wonder Woman actually, I think, has that problem less than some other characters. Because right from the start, he said, little girls deserve a hero to look up to. I'm gonna try to create that. Let's put profiles of historical women in the back. There may be some other stuff that makes it through that makes this kind of camp classic to people in the future. I'm a complicated guy. There's a lot of backstory there, but the bones were good and they have lasted uh, for the ensuing 70 plus years. Uh, And I love that about her.
1: Do you maybe also want to give us just uh, as succinctly as you can kind of what the classic Wonder Woman Origin is because that's something that's going to come up in all three of these scripts So I think it's good for the audience because this is something I didn't know a ton of other than what I saw From the movie and we can get to this too. a lot of her powers Especially the classic powers that aren't in the new movie when they pop up in these scripts I was just like well I gotta stop and Google that is this screenwriter insane or is this part of the comics
4: uh, yeah, thank- and please, anyone correct me, jump, jump in if I get any of this wrong, but the, the classical Wonder Woman origin is that uh, in ancient Greece, the Amazons, who of course are, I'm going to say real mythological figures, but you all know what I mean by that, yeah. they come from <laughs> our Earth history, uh, they, a, a race of female warriors, the original idea is that uh, they existed, they separated from the world of man, because the world of man sucks, uh, a, they had patron goddesses who looked out for them. Uh, Their queen, Hippolyta, wanted a daughter, made one out of clay. Uh, The goddesses imbued it with life. I think the first version of this is Aphrodite as being the the particular patron who brings her to life, but that's going to shift over the years. Uh, And eventually, and here's where I think you run into trouble with adaptations, of course, is that Wonder Woman originally wasn't a period piece. It was happening in the now, but the now (laughs) was World War II. So essentially... A human comes to the island. There's a giant global conflict going on. The Amazons are like, oh, we know what that's about, war. That guy sucks. We know him. Uh, So Wonder Woman leaves the island with the man who has crashed there uh, to go and try to fight against the specter of war, which is currently crossing the Earth uh, pretty literally in 1941. Uh, And so thus is the basic Steve Trevor fighting against war, helping to improve man's world. Uh, There's usually a contest involved over who will get to take Steve back uh, to the regular world, and there's usually some conflict with her mom involved over whether this is a good idea and who should go, if anyone. Did that make sense? Yes, that
1: was great. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I guess before we officially get into the prehistory of the movie, uh, we are recording this before the sequel has come out. I'm just curious how all you guys feel the movie that did get made stacks up. Like, do you think that that was a good adaptation? The movie we'd all been waiting for, so to speak.
5: I I think it's, um, uh, I'll speak just for myself and my own opinions about the 2017 movie. I really loved most of it. I really l- adored certain moments that I thought just cut to the core of that character. And, and like Amy said, the bones and the DNA, and they were up on screen. And us comic book fans uh, have have dealt with having to compromise for decades. That's the word of the day, folks. Hector had, had a bit on
3: DC Daily. Anytime we would talk about this, he'd go, compromise.
0: Uh, that's for it, those that's
1: at it. Home, you know? uh uh clerk is making a hand gesture that to me is the hand gesture bella lugosi makes in white zombie when he's hypnotizing people but uh
3: sure we're having to hypnotize comic book fans this is okay don't worry
5: you're gonna or you're gonna go caroling or something that's what that pose is like you hold your you know you hold yourself together but the idea that a comic book fan would get sort of a pure translation to a film is so that was not a part of being a comic book fan for movies since (laughs) Richard Donner's Superman even through the Tim Burton Batmans especially to up to 2008 with some of the early sort of Marvel movies and then DC getting back with Batman Begins and stuff like that and even with the great Christopher Nolan like Dark Knight trilogy there's still a whole mess of compromise kind of stuff happening there. But I think most comic book fans understand why this happens. Adaptation cannot be a one-to-one. You can't take a script from 1941 that is meant for children, for a, you know, a printed comic book pulpy thing and just expect it to be exactly the same. You can't have dialogue be the same. You can't have the setting and the situations and all of that stuff be the same. Having said that, I think Wonder Woman 2017 is a really interesting movie because frankly, Wonder Woman should have had a movie since the 70s or at least the 80s <laughs> hell even the 90s like Sandra Bullock should have played her in a 90s movie that would have been okay you know so that by the time Gal Gadot played her it would have been a remake or a reboot the fact that she didn't get one is criminal and i think it's definitely indicative of just the sort of sexism in hollywood and the sort of male dominated genre but it's also interesting because it comes after a couple of dc fr- like property movies from warner brothers that are like very interesting and I'm being nice. Uh, They're interesting because they hired creatives who cared about the characters, but also were definitely oftentimes embarrassed by characters like Superman and Batman and the whole thing. They were trying to build a universe to compete with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that's always bad. And they also, if they were considering making Wonder Woman a period piece and using those origins that Amy beautifully laid out, well, guess what? A movie came out in 2011 called Captain America, the first Avenger that is so similar. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they even decided not to do that. And they went, okay, let's go earlier. World War I. Ha! Our hero <laughs> was earlier than Captain America. It's like, sure, that's that's never been a mm-hmm. part of Wonder Woman's comic book history, but it's fine. All that being said, I think that the, the movie in 2017 has moments that perfectly encapsulate that character. I think that the the things that don't work for me are the stuff where it needs to fit into that larger narrative, which is still not clear, super clear up to that point. The main example being Wonder Woman premiered this version of the character. Technically, Wonder Woman, the character, premiered in the Lego movie voiced by Kobe Smulders, which is kind of a bummer. Like, love the Lego movie. That's great. <laughs> but it's kind of weird that the first ever movie that technically has a character that is Wonder Woman, not like somebody referencing Wonder Woman or, you know, dressing up like Wonder Woman, but like Wonder Woman is the Lego movie. Then she appears in live action in Batman the Superman Dawn of Justice as a very tertiary, you know, a character who her her storyline is not fleshed out. And it's frustrating because... Gal is beautiful in the film and she looks very mysterious and cool, but I think that she was fighting, that character and that version of the character is fighting against a little bit of the, this is a male dominated movie. This is a version of the character who was cast by Zack Snyder, who is a very visual guy and very bro and coming off of doing 300 and coming off of doing Watchmen, which a lot of people were like, will it miss the mark? It didn't do female characters great in that movie. He doesn't do female characters great in all of his movies. So so this is what this, this sort of character is struggling against. And I think the narrative at the time was like Gal Gadot coming off of the Fast and Furious films where she's beautiful and, and very exotic to American audiences and, and very tall and slender and gorgeous. Did Zack Snyder hire her because he saw that Christopher, that Christopher Reeve spark of him playing Superman? Or did he hire her because... She's a beautiful, tall and slender. Like, and it's, it's a bummer because when we get to see Patty Jenkins direct Gal Gadot and use this character in her own origin movie, we, I think we clearly see she was the right person to play this character. So all of these different elements are happening for the 2017 movie to come out. And I still really, really, really love most of that movie, despite everything that's kind of, I think, working against it. And even now the sort of story of this character, and I'll mention it later when we get to some of the specifics of the script, Like, it's still unclear if this character was supposed to have been so brokenhearted by a man, by losing a man, even if it's Chris Pine, that she quits being a superhero from 1918 all the way to 2016, 100 years, (laughs) because, because it fits for her to show up in Batman versus Superman, but it doesn't necessarily fit with the character. But again, it's a compromise. Will Wonder Woman 1984 basically undo some of that? There's been instances where Gal Gadot was asked about this at a, at a press thing somewhere. And she was like, I'll be honest, some decisions that were made for the character, we realize were maybe not the best decisions. So does that mean that some of those early story points of like, and then she hides for a hundred years, like, <laughs> is that going to go away? The, in, in fact, the entire question of that continuity of that film universe is up in the air right now because they hired back the guy, Zack Snyder, to come and recut his own version of, of the movie that already was released. But is that going to be the official canon going forward? Are they going to build off from there? Are they going to hire him back to do Justice League Part 2? Like, what's, what's going to happen to this character after this Patty Jenkins sequel? If they're doing a spinoff of other Amazons. Awesome. Where does that... Like, it's just never been as clear as the Marvel laying out the movies and basically executing them promising that film plan and basically setting it up and the only time they really deviated is when they're like oh we got spider-man let's push some stuff and let's squeeze a spider-man movie in there that fits within our very cohesive easy to understand easy to follow cinematic universe so yeah love the movie love the movie i really do but there's there's still a lot to talk about
1: <laughs> clark amy how about you you guys
3: yeah, I'll just add to what Hector said uh, that, you know, I really, really, what I think stood out to me, because I read all three scripts that we're going to talk about today, and what stood out to me about Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman is that it was the right Wonder Woman at the right time. You know, you this character is arguably timeless. However, the interpretation of who she can be and why she does what she does, I think they nailed it. For what was going on in 2017. And, um, and I, I love, you know, there's some, and also I love, I love the choices that Patty makes in terms of the first time we see Wonder Woman fully in her Wonder Woman gear, you know, walking into No Man's Land. Um, I love the choices she makes in terms of um, uh, her relationship with Steve Trevor, you know, the fish out of water stuff. You're always gonna get that when you're doing Wonder Woman and bringing her from Themyscira to Man's World. So, how we do it in, say, Joss Whedon's script versus how we do it in Patty Jenkins' script. Uh, You know, I would, and we'll get into it in a little bit, but I would argue that for Joss's script, I do think that it was appropriate for the time, you know, and that's just what it was. But we've, come a long way in terms of superheroes, in terms of pop culture, and in terms of the way we view women and who is getting their voice brought to the table in just like less than 20 years. It's wild. Um, And so, you know, so she, in some ways is this incredible, like, um, this incredible cypher to travel all through these times and how we interpret her. Um, but I truly love, I, I will also say real quickly that when I, um, I did not care for, you know, the Zack Snyder movies. Um, but the first time we see her, as Hector said, was in Dawn of, uh, uh, Batman v Superman. And, um, when I heard, and she's fully fledged warrior, yeah. Wonder Woman at that part, yep. point. Yep. So when I heard that we were doing an origin story, first of all I was like, I don't need any more origin stories. <laughs> like so many origin <laughs> stories. <laughs> we we get it. We're good. And also, I just got 5 minutes of a badass fully recognized hero who had been right. a hero for 100 years at that point. I don't do we need to go back, but I do think that ultimately it was the right choice and I like the choices that they made. But at first I was skeptical, but the movie really did win me over in that way.
4: Uh, If, if I adore the 2017 Wonder Woman movie, uh, there are like with anything there, there are decisions in it that I might've done differently. Uh, There are a lot of the things Hector described that surround it are completely true, but for someone who loved this character who was pretty convinced that apparently this was never going to happen for mm-hmm. a long time and if it did was already bracing myself for all the ways it could go wrong it this 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 incredible sort of like jumping the hurdles uh event of doing this movie and watching all of those things not go wrong uh and not only not go wrong but the basic thing that I would most want from a Wonder Woman movie, which is make people understand what's great about her. Yes. It did it. It was, yeah. you will believe a man can fly, but for Wonder Woman. And then the truth is there's story stuff that, I mean, Bless it, I love Superman the movie very, very much. But their story stuff in that, I think, is not, you know, I'm not into the whole Messiah metaphor for Clark Kent. I don't Mm -hmm. think that makes a lot of sense. They use it in that movie and they use it really well and it's a great movie and I love it very much. But I don't need my movie to agree with my interpretations completely for me to love it and find it a classic. And I, I essentially... We'll get into the origin stories later, but this is me setting up why I'm fine with some of the decisions they make in Wonder Woman, even though they aren't necessarily what I would do story-wise with Wonder Woman and her origin. I thought the movie was a miracle just for like the scenes on Themyscira, no man's land, the way they stayed true to things, the way they threaded the needle of the Steve Trevor relationship and the fish out of water stuff with so much grace. Uh, you know, are there more things that I want? Yes, and, and, and I can Hector have heard me say this a million times. I can't wait for there to be 15 different Wonder Woman movies. I don't know if it'll still be my favorite one when that happens. Uh, but if it happens, it'll be because this dang movie got made. and I'm so <laughs> glad.
1: Well, and that's uh, a great way to segue into the history part, because when we did our Spider-Man, Unmade Spider-Man episodes, that was something we talked about on that, was if you were growing up in the era the pre-superhero age we are now living through, still, people kept, like, this will be dead in five years, and (laughs) we're, like, 20 years in. Was (laughs) it 2000? Is that when X-Men came out? Or was that, Mm -hmm. yeah, so we're 20 years in. Uh, Still going strong. No sign of stopping. Now it's spilling out into TV. Uh, But the longest time, you had Superman. And then you had to wait 10 years before you got Batman. Like, that's insane to think about that now, (laughs) that they made a hit superhero movie. And Warner Brothers, who owned every single DC character... Waited ten years before doing another one, and so gosh, it, it, it makes sense gosh, that they waited ten more years after that to even start trying to do Wonder
5: Woman. Josh, Warner Brothers didn't try to do anybody else while they were doing the Harry Potter movies, and they got <laughs> flat out asked, "Are you going to do any other DC superheroes?" They're like, "No, we're focusing on yeah. Harry Potter right now. We're good. We're a movie studio. We don't
2: know. That's if, what we, we don't mean. know if
1: audiences want this." Yeah, uh, I think they,
2: they did attempt Batman in like nineteen eighty four with um joe dante was attached to direct but then it kind of yeah, that kind of fell apart. Well, people were well, trying;
1: uh, they just weren't. Yeah. Uh, the the, we had the Punisher, with Dolph. Don't forget. We got a Punisher movie yeah. where he's not even wearing <laughs> a t-shirt with a skull on yeah. it. I'm still. I like, how that. many
4: Ghostwriters did we get before someone tried <laughs> to make Wonder Woman? I no shame. <laughs> how many Ghostwriters? That's but a, like that
3: is the best way to sum <laughs> it up. How yeah. many Ghostwriters did we get? <laughs>
5: before we got Wonder Woman. We got mo- We got three Spider Men and an animated one. We got uh, a, a Green Lantern. We get, and they're gonna try Green Lantern. Again, we got um, we got a, a Ninja Turtles movie. Mm-hmm. Four, no, six of them. Before we got a, a, a Wonder Woman, movie. we got a Howard the Duck movie before we got Wonder Woman.
4: Like <laughs> we got a before we got insane. almost anything Marvel, which is just the weirdest. It's
5: insane.
1: <laughs> uh, well, Steve, why don't you jump into uh, where the industry's head was at during all of this?
2: Oh uh, yeah. So let's see. Uh, I guess we have to start in the late 60s uh, during that Batman craze with the TV show. The producer of that TV show, he envisioned doing a Wonder Woman with uh, a Phyllis Diller type that would play the character (laughs) for laughs. Just making
1: jokes about how ugly she is. Makes total sense.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but um, he had a failed show called the Green Hornet and then that idea went away. But it's weird. Some sources I, I saw, they, they, they actually said it was sh- a shot pilot. I can't find any proof of that. But I've seen a couple
4: like- minutes of what I think was test footage from the 60s. It's her in the hot pants in front of a mirror. Um, I don't know what it was for, but is she doing
1: like fight poses (laughs) or what is she doing in front of the mirror?
4: Oh, gosh, I think she's looking at her outfit and uh, there's some sort of comedy dialogue with what else would she be doing? (laughs) It (laughs) It was a while ago.
2: Yeah, I guess they were going for that camp value with the Batman show at the time. And then 74, there was an unsuccessful pilot for ABC starring Kathy. Oh, we watched
3: it. We... You are so miserable. <laughs> I I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, no, we go. watched this on DC Daily, and I hated Every give us the logo. Yeah. But Amy, (laughs) Amy actually didn't mind it. It's so funny because there were a handful of times where (laughs) where I was like, no, it's fun. And Amy's like, okay. And and then, but this was it was the opposite where it just to me it was just miserable. Kathy Lee Crosby was a tennis player. (laughs) You know, she was not an actress. There was it she wore a a warm-up suit in red, white, and blue, she's blonde. Not that there's anything wrong with blonde people, but it's just like, this was not, why are you calling her Wonder Woman? And also, why do I have to watch this? I hate
1: this, I what hate did it, it. What did it look like? Are we talking like the 70s Spider-Man TV movie quality or? It, it, I
3: mean, it was not great. It was not great quality. And also she doesn't do anything. She doesn't, she, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but Amy, did she even fight? In the movie did she, she had a couple of action beats, I think. Uh right. you know, sort of just
4: showing off like we got we got a tennis player who can kind of do you know did she throw like a...
1: smack a bomb away with a tennis racket or anything like that. <laughs> it I was know. oh that's right, it was that guy <laughs> who was
3: the bad guy and he was Oh, man. Well, I now, mean, look, the
4: movie ends with Ricardo Montalban, like on a raft going down a river. And I, I feel like there was like, was there a comedy monkey in the movie somewhere? Am I imagining that? Probably. Um, I, was, anyway, I did
3: not care for it. But Amy was uh, more amused by it than I was. Because
4: It's just nonsense. It's just like a low budget spy film starring someone they're claiming is Wonder Woman. Uh, That's a great way to put it. It's just bizarre. But technically, you know, somebody attempted something. And I appreciate that, I guess.
2: Well, yeah, that was a. I'm curious about Ricardo Montalban in a
1: raft, but <laughs> I had me I was, at comedy monkey.
2: Yes, <laughs> yeah. So that didn't work out. That was a failure. And then a year later, they had. Uh, that was in '74, and then in '75, uh, the new original Wonder Woman came out, and that was the one with Linda Carter. And that Where last seasons did we get of that? It looks like you got well here's the weird thing it came out in 75 and then in 1977 it it switched networks from abc to cbs and
4: they did a time jump
2: oh is that and then here's the funny thing is that different strokes then came out on nbc and the success of that kind of took wonder woman's audience and then cbs shelved the show in 79 so 75 to 79. So I, guess I wouldn't that's think true. of
1: Wonder Woman in different strokes as being the same audience, but okay. <laughs> well don't don't forget
2: there was only like a handful of channels at that yeah. time.
1: <laughs> it's a different time. So, exactly.
2: And now I couldn't find I could be wrong, please reach out and let me know, but I couldn't find anything about Wonder Woman until nineteen ninety six. I mean I
1: believe it does everything.
2: Yeah, everyone, what everyone is saying. Why would you capitalize
4: on an incredibly famous, iconic TV performance uh, that made a character a household name? Why would you want to do anything more with that? I mean, (laughs) you've done it already, right? Just put it in the the vault.
1: They didn't even make Linda Carter. Because I was thinking when they canceled the Incredible Hulk TV show, I felt like I was growing up in the era where the show was already done, but they were just making endless TV movies. They were just oh, a yeah. continuation. They, they didn't do any the trial Linda of the Carter. Incredible
5: Hulk, the Trial of the Incredible Hulk. And each one of those Marvel movies, each one of them, there were two of them, one of them had Thor that they introduced and one of them had Daredevil. <laughs> so wow, again, that's, that's Stan awesome. Lee. Even back then, they were trying to build out that universe. They knew that that this is what made the DNA of Marvel work. They knew that the comic book universes had this untapped potential of great crossover and you know they could all work as sort of backdoor pilots for one another. Maybe they could have made a Thor show. Maybe they could have made a Daredevil show. Mm-hmm. Those didn't hit, but um, going back to what you guys were talking about earlier, the the, the time span between Superman seventy eight to Batman eighty nine, you know, we had on DC Daily, we were lucky enough to have Batman producer Michael Usland. He's
3: and fascinating,
5: fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I flat out asked him. I said, "Look, man, Superman came out in seventy eight, and you were trying to get Batman up off the ground. Did shouldn't that have made your job easier? Was anybody?" And he goes, "No, it made our jobs harder because everybody in Hollywood assumed that every superhero." would have to work like Superman the movie, that every character would have to work like that. So to take a and character like Wonder Woman, who's so specific, does not surprise me that they didn't even try until 96.
3: And Yuslan was always talking about how he was horrified at the Adam West Batman because yep. he was like, this character is a dark character, this character is a scary character, or, you know, not, not super. And so the point to, to what Hector is saying, the idea that Superman is bright and hopeful and, you know, um, you, you know, shot in daylight and all of that stuff. It's like, yeah, if you... And, and having just had a cultural impact on this is what Batman is, Batman is Adam West running around and using shark spray. And it's like, no, no, no. So, yeah, for Michael, he was fighting. That's why... It, I, I, part of the reason it took so long is because he was yeah. fighting for a darker, more serious version of Batman.
1: <laughs> well, it's like we were saying on our Spider-Man episodes. It's like... And I think somebody even said this about the hypothetical Sandra Bullock version in the 90s. Whatever they made in the 80s would have been bad. And probably now would be real unwoke. It would have been like Bo Derek as Wonder Woman and constantly being her underwear. Uh, but that still would have been cool to have that bad movie.
5: Yeah, there would have been a whole generation that grew up with that version of Wonder Woman that would have sworn that it's better than whatever's coming out today and it would be obnoxious. (laughs) You
1: know, the Supergirl (laughs) DVD when it first came out and we're like, oh, (laughs) I remembered this movie (laughs) being better. Yep. Oh my goodness.
4: I know people who grew up on that movie. It all has an effect that it's it's a, a... a, a rich tapestry that way. I do think it's uh, the only reason I can laugh off the Kathy Lee Crosby is because they turned around and did it right. Yes, that's um, true. I, I think probably I would be just as miserable if it were like, this is all we had for the first, yes you know, <laughs> 60 years uh, of the character existing. And it's because the, the Linda Carter one, it has- look, it has some of the qualities Hector's alluding to here, like they, they cast a beauty pageant star. They just also got really lucky and she was rad. Uh, and the show was fundamentally still about uh, a cool badass lady solving various problems in World War II and or the 70s. Uh, so they, they got enough of it right. And it did have that impact, which is why I don't know, I just find it baffling. It took so long. So what happened in 96?
2: <laughs> um I'm, I'm i'm guessing it was a year after batman forever came out because batman forever I, I believe it still did well and that was 95. Well, and you can't in 90- imagine
1: that the higher-ups were like "Ooh, this is taking a weird turn maybe we yeah. should start <laughs> looking towards <laughs> an exit strategy yeah
2: and so yeah march 28th 1996 uh, ghostbuster director ivan reitman is attached to produce and possibly direct a wonder woman feature and he had a female a female writer named kimberly reed to write it and he said we're going to go back to the source material much in the way tim burton made batman and it goes quiet after that (laughs) announcement and then march 98 nbc announced that they were going to do another tv series of wonder woman and that never happened and so and i guess also in the the later 90s, I, I saw this in one article by Drew McWeeny, but I haven't been able to find anywhere else. But John Peters, who produced uh, Batman mm-hmm. and The Death of Superman Lives, he was going to produce... Of the he famous
1: was... Kevin Smith spider yes. story.
2: Yes, he was attached to the project. But after him, it went to Joel Silver, the famous producer of like Commando and... Um,
1: Madman Joel Silver.
2: Yeah, many, many movies. So he, he's going to be a part of all these scripts we're pretty much reading. Um, he's the producer on pretty much. And so in 99, he has uh, John Cohen as a writer attached to the project. This is October 99. And John Cohen will eventually go off and write Minority Report. Mm-hmm. And Joe Silver at this time, um, he is wooing Sandra Bullock for the job. And so from October 99, December 99, Variety brings up that she's circling the project again. And we go into 2000s, March 2000, after the Matrix is out, movie line is like, hey, you guys should probably put Carrie Ann Moss as Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman. But Sandra Bullock is still pursuing the role. Uh, October 2000, Charlie's Angels comes out and it's a really, really big success. And then immediately that next January, 2001, Warner Brothers brings on Todd Alcott to write Wonder Woman, and he wrote. He recently had just written the movie Ants and uh, Thirteen Ghosts, and there was like a little write-up in Variety that says fears about the direction of this project were raised last fall when rumors of Mariah Carey's involvement were reported. <laughs> Thankfully, our own sources interjected that Zena herself, Lucy Lawless, is being considered for the role.
1: Who would but have been great?
2: This, yeah. yeah. Interestingly also, I don't know, this is a h- another movie that wasn't made, but Joel Silver was also shaping a movie called Adrenaline starring Christina Ricci as a title role of a girl who grows in post-Cold War Russia as an orphan. And she is turned half human, half cyborg, programmed to d- destroy the United States. So he's kind of- i watched that Joel, movie. I know, right? So Joel Silver is um, kind of going for female uh, superhero projects at this time. <laughs> And um, yeah, and so in April 2001, uh, the producer of uh, Wonder Woman, he says, "I told Joel Silver that Charlie's Angels was going to be good, and that everyone would be chasing films that empower women, and that the classic version of that was Wonder Woman. Soon we had a story, and soon we had Todd Alcott writing it. Sandy's interested, and we've met with her, and it all depends on the script and the director." But of course, she hasn't done anything physical in a long time. And she'd like to. We love, we love to have her.
1: And, physical in a long time. <laughs> I think they yeah. mean like
3: speed. Yeah. Like an yeah. action or demolition man or it something. Like but that. yeah, that's maybe a weird way, that playing, exactly. weird way to say
1: it.
0: Weird way to say it. You Sandy say when you're like also. casting
1: Arnold Schwarzenegger right. in an action <laughs> movie now, not like, oh, speed right. two was like two years ago. <laughs>
3: She's like an well, old you know, lady now. you know how fast women in Hollywood <laughs> yeah. age. Josh. It's, it's like, like do- it's like dog years—seven <laughs> years for every one year.
1: Um, <laughs> well, so that brings us up to right, Steve. Now this this first first draft of the Alcott script, July yeah, twenty seventh, two thousand one. Yes,
2: right before that, there was that's around April two thousand one. Kathleen Zeta Jones's name is kind of being tossed mm-hmm. out there, and then in May two thousand one. Intimate Weekly just put out that Sandra Bullock's spokeswoman said that Miss Congeniality has met with Warner Brothers about starring in Wonder Woman, but the busiest, but um, also Lucy Lawless is now after the role. She's interested in playing it and wrestler China is in in pursuit of it also. And now that will bring us up to the first draft.
1: I would have 100% rented, like I remember when I think it was shortly after the Disney Tarzan, there was that like straight to video Casper Van Dien Tarzan movie. I would have watched the <laughs> China, straight to video uh, Wonder Woman movie. Um, okay, this script, uh, I feel we're gonna have a lot to say about, in part because it's a Wonder Woman script that does not heavily feature Wonder Woman. That was wild. That uh, was wild. It features, I guess, a Wonder Woman. Wonder Girl. Yeah, well, can you guys, cause this was a perfect example of something where I'm just like, I gotta Google this. Cause this is like, is this what's happening here? <laughs> uh, can someone tell us about the character of Donna Troy before I actually get into the story of this script?
4: Okay, I'm very excited, but I didn't read this script. So this is a fun turn. Uh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. I Donna Troy is a pretty major DC character, but not one who's well-known outside of like comic book heads. Uh, she is partly famous for having a confusing, difficult-to-tell-people origin, which has been reworked so many times that having her origin reworked is now a core part of her character concept. <laughs> uh, but she also you know, she she originally, okay, she originally came up by mistake. Uh, they were just kind of not keeping a lot of track of uh, the various Wonder Woman things they were doing for a while. And they were doing all these like stories of Wonder Woman when she was younger. And eventually somebody wrote the teen, younger Wonder Woman as if it was a separate character who's like a kid sidekick to Wonder Woman. Uh, and that became how she became her own character. She started hanging out with all the other kids' sidekicks because everybody else had one. They eventually... This would
1: be...
5: (laughs) I just want to reiterate this, Amy, because this is insane what you just described. This would be as though there was a show, let's say, about a young Superman. Let's call it Smallville, for example. And this would be as if a show like Smallville existed with a young Clark Kent when he's a teenager. And people were so not keeping track of what was happening that the next time they made a Superman movie with somebody playing Superman, Tom Welling showed up and he's like, also, I'm Superboy and I'm your sidekick. (laughs) That's how insane that would be. And that's what happened with this poor, poor comic book character Like Amy said, there was an idea of the Teen Titans, which I think now a lot of people are familiar with because of cartoons and TV shows and everything, but the Teen Titans had all the, they collected all the sidekicks. Batman had Robin, uh, Aquaman had Aqualad, Flash had Kid Flash, and then Wonder Woman now had Wonder Girl, who was this other sort of carbon copy clone uh, who eventually, like Amy's describing, became a character in her own right named Donna Troy. Amy, keep going. Keep us about Donna.
4: No, absolutely. So the the most versions of Donna that you'll encounter will have something to do with the fact that she was like a regular human girl uh, who was sort of orphaned in a horrible fire and then raised by the Amazons as one of them, uh, and so and eventually becomes either honorary or or you know mystically connected little sister to Wonder Woman, uh, and you will encounter, all of the reworkings will have some way of she's always gonna be tied to the the mythology or the Greek God sides of it or the Titans uh, of myth as opposed to the Teen Titans. Uh, They're just gonna find other ways to play with that concept. But essentially, if you think, if you just think of her as originally kid sidekick to Wonder Woman growing into her own the way Dick Grayson grows into his own thing as regards Batman, uh, you will have uh, your start on Donna Troy.
3: Amy, is Donna Troy ever Wonder Woman's daughter? i don't think so
5: no i think the answer is i see how that confused amy that's what Uh i'm talking about this is that (laughs) comic book compromise because in this crazy script amy uh donna is revealed to be diana's biological daughter that she had with steve trevor
1: Oh, And, and even better we're gonna read that scene uh and you're gonna play donna (laughs) <laughs> uh as luck would have it so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in that till we get to it all right so yeah that that is i'd say the, the the kind of overall crux of this this is a wonder woman movie where our hero uh is donna troy and wonder woman is ultimately like more luke skywalker in last jedi but actually even less screen time really uh yeah. Yeah, so this one opens up, and I will say, for people maybe first listen of this show, uh, I always like to, as a screenwriter, I like to say, because I'm sure people are going to have negative things to say about this script, not necessarily Todd Elcott's fault. This is a big, huge movie. It's not like he got to decide everything that was in the script. You also, again, unless you're a real big writer, you don't just go away and come back with your script and is like, here it is. Everybody's got their fingers in it. It's called The First Draft. That's just what you got paid for. They probably made you do like 83 drafts before they got to this quote unquote first one. Um, I do wish, as someone uh, asked earlier, I I wish we knew a little bit more of why Mm -hmm. these decisions were made in this movie. And who knows what were in the drafts uh, leading up to this one. If there was some reason that they just felt like this isn't working. I'm curious what the Ivan Reitman one would have been. I'm sure a lot of this uh, is in part that her origin is so long ago. You know, like the idea that we can't do a period piece, but can we have her origin be now? Is that going to be weird? So this script basically tries to have it both ways. So we begin in the Alps at a ski resort where a character named Cyrus, who's some like shady government spook type, uh, is meeting with another guy. They exchange some money. He gets a briefcase with... uh compound in it called nitronium. I don't remember if we learned in this scene, but we'll eventually learn that this is the only, this is all the nitronium there is in the world. So it's super valuable. Um, Then Diana Prince shows up and we realize that her and Cyrus work together. They're both like government agents, but we also realize that Cyrus uh, is up to no good and should not be doing this. Uh, He's running away with the nitronium. He grabs a little girl and throws her off a cliff. (laughs) so wonder woman has to you know jump and save her he jumps on a super fancy snowmobile called a snow jet uh they get in a big chase this was another thing i had to google because again everything i know about wonder Woman's pretty much from the new movie uh wonder woman starts flying around uh, and i was like can wonder woman fly and it seems that's a little (laughs) inconsistent as far as the answer sometimes sometimes is the answer um there's a big action sequence there. There's some fun stuff of her basically like water skiing behind the snow jet using her lasso. <laughs> uh, the other funny thing that I was thinking of when this came out, the script uh, and the level of special effects. I have to keep reminding myself a lot of this stuff. I'm like, oh, this would have looked terrible though uh, <laughs> with the CG they had it, available it, at the time. It, it
5: feels like it's a Pierce Brosnan and James Bond film. That's like what it, I it, thought. It would have been Die Another Day where they're like, look at this cool hotel we built in the ice. It's like this sucks. This is dumb. <laughs> this is, you know, it's just, and the opening with this Cyrus, he gets this this briefcase and he's dealing with like a computer hacker and the way the script describes a computer hacker, I'm like, oh, you're such a jerk. Like, Hackers. Yeah. Cyrus is dealing with him <laughs> and then the, the computer hacker like, like says something like, do you have the money? And then Cyrus, the tough guy, is like, this is what I get for dealing with nerds and you're like what? <laughs> who, what who what kind of stuff are you working out in this therapy script man this is so weird well,
1: I, it's also funny whenever you read old scripts i think the way cell phones are talked about always very much places it because there's a thing where first of all they call them cell phones mm. uh not just phones um but it's like what There's a scene where I think it's later, with Don is like walking down the street and you can tell the idea that they highlight that everyone is on their phone is the idea that these people are all crazy and rude and that Gateway City is horrible. And I'm like, well, cut to 20 years later and that's just life. But um, yeah, so there's all this stuff. Uh, She gets some info out of Cyrus and she crushes his hand to a pulp, which I thought was pretty fucked up to get because he has the briefcase handcuffed to himself. And he to get the handcuff off, she just like pulverizes his hand to slips it off. And I'm like, Whoa, this is huh. very violent Wonder Woman.
5: Really my first indication that I went, okay, this is not going to be good. Uh, This is not going to be good representation of Wonder Woman where after she even gets the information, I think in the script, then she even just crushes the guy's hand. And the script is like, she's like merciless and she is vengeful and she crushes his hand. And now we cut to the next scene. And I'm like, whoa, what, huh? (laughs) No. Uh,
1: So we go to Gateway City, um, which like, I'm guessing that's, that's just the kind of oldest or most basic, like Wonder Woman main city, or has that changed over time?
3: Uh, sometimes it's national city. Yeah, i to remember it, it as national city, but isn't that also um, Supergirl, where Supergirl lives?
5: Now, yeah. Yeah, now she's I, in national city. I think it's tough with DC in that universe because they have these fictional cities and Gotham is Batman, Metropolis is Superman, Central City is The Flash, and Star City is Green Arrow. Green Lantern gets Coast City, I think. A lot of these are really tied into the characters and a lot of them aren't. And I think Wonder Woman's a character who she's a bit of a floater the different versions of the character in the comics is either when she shows up on man's land in the modern era, she's going to be based out of Washington DC because she has a government liaison, Steve Trevor, and they're working together. Other versions of wonder woman set her in New York city, not Gotham, not metropolis. There's also New York that exists in the DC universe. So the entire East coast is this just massive, just city. The whole thing is just this huge tri city area, but she's out of New York city. And that, you know, that adds some fun, kind of a little bit of realism almost. So, yeah, Amy?
4: I, I just looked it up because I was jogging my memory, but not going all actually finishing. Uh, it, it Gateway City is a DC city analog to San Francisco um, from starting in the late 60s. Um, and I think like canonically, Wonder Woman does spend time there. I just couldn't remember much about it. Well,
1: mm-hmm. and they really want it to be kind of Gotham-y because they just go on and on describing what a Yep. fucking shithole it is, uh, it, it which also is then funny because be... then they talk about how awesome Diana's apartment is, right. which I thought was a little weird. I'm like, so the city is like just horrible, but Wonder Woman's like, well, I'm gonna have She's a She's in cool the penthouse, condo. I'm yeah. good.
3: <laughs> yeah. Like I live in this cool penthouse. <laughs> well, she also so. yeah. lives in
1: Marston Tower, which again, I had to Google because I'm like, like the creator of Wonder Woman? That's not really the name of her house, is it? <laughs> uh, it seems like, no, that's just from this script. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, though. Cute, yeah. Clever. Um So then there's a the whole sequence. She meets another government guy named Trombley, who I don't think is from the comics. Um, they're talking about the canister of nitronium. Uh, and then we get to, like I was talking about, realizing that I don't know some of her powers as he sprays this, like, goo on her hands that instantly turns to concrete, like, effectively handcuffs, and now she doesn't have any superpowers anymore, which, uh, my ignorance, I did not realize that as a classic Wonder Woman thing dating back to Marston and the fact that the character was basically these BDSM kind of uh, almost philosophical feelings on the relationship of dominance and submissiveness and.
3: I didn't know about the BDSM history, however, Reading these three scripts, the handcuff thing comes up so much. I just, whether that was in any of the animated films that we watched or any of the comics that we read, you know, throughout DC Daily, that was, I, I did yeah. not have any context for that either. Was that
1: a power they've kind of worked out of the comics over the decades? I feel like it does not come up much these yeah.
4: days. Uh, I don't I, know. I, heck, do you know, did Perez just ditch that one when he rebooted the origin in the 80s?
5: I'll need to reread it, but, uh, you know, she had that origin in the 40s. It stayed basically that even when the DC characters were effectively rebooted in 1955 with a new appearance of the Flash, Barry Allen. So that was sort of the second universe. Amy's describing in the 80s when everything was reset again after an event called Crisis on Infinite Earths. That made all the characters, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, everybody have different origins, fresh origins brought up to speed. I'd need to reread it, but George Perez did a did a he was a writer artist mm. on on a on a modern Wonder Woman, which was mostly awesome. Still had a couple of questions. I just think that that whole she loses her powers when she's bound comes with a lot of baggage that I don't think most writers are equipped to really get into the nuances of. And unlike other superheroes that have weaknesses that I think have stayed with them, Superman kryptonite, even something like Green Lantern in the 50s and 60s, his weakness was he couldn't affect anything that was the color yellow. That's the dumbest (laughs) thing you've ever heard. It's so stupid that Green Lantern could create objects out of nothing with his mind and a magic ring from space and yet couldn't affect yellow, but other writers, namely guys like Jeff Johns and stuff were able to latch onto that idea and go, Oh, let's work it into mythology. It's because there's an impurity. It's because yellow represents fear. Let's tie it back into the green lantern core and needing to be able to overcome great fear. And it's the villain parallax and blah, 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 blah. They've made it something where you could see that in a movie and they could sort of pay it off in a way that I think audiences would buy. I do not see how Wonder Woman being bound at any level in a movie for all ages could ever work. And the fact that these scripts keep relying on it, especially this Alcott one, you're not kidding, Josh, it comes up a lot. I was like, this feels like a... This again, I'm very cynical about this and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels as though it is a male screenwriter or male producers or male creatives. As soon as somebody does the research and hears about that weakness, they go, oh, OK, great. Now Wonder Woman makes sense to me.
1: <laughs> You're going to tell
5: me she's a super powered woman the whole time. Come on. No, no, no. We put her <laughs> put her hands behind her back. Yeah, we got her. <laughs> Great. Let's put it in the movie eighty times. Like it's, it, it feels like they're relying on it a little too much. That they wouldn't do that with a male superhero and their weakness, even if Kryptonite is you know world famous and stuff. So yeah.
4: I think you have perfectly outlined the reasons that it probably deserves to sort of pass away. I I, I will because it, it would be so hard to be like please use this responsibly, people. Uh, I will say the the origins of the handcuffing thing are complicated because of what you alluded to josh the the dr marston had some particular home life ideas uh there was something he called the principle of loving submission it's not really relevant here except that simultaneously more than one thing was operating with that in canon in the story the deal with being bound was essentially the patron goddesses being like we're gonna give you superpowers and let you escape from the world of man which has betrayed you. But here, this is a promise and there's a symbol of that promise. Uh, You are promising to never, essentially like, if you let a man put handcuffs on you again, you don't deserve to keep your superpowers. You've broken the promise you made to me, your patron goddess, uh, if you give up your power uh then you you know figure your own way out of it kind of deal and from that level and a creating story consequences and challenges level you can sort of understand where that would come from uh but i think hector's right it is way too easy for that to just veer into left field uh for people to be like i'm sorry her weakness is what yeah
1: a lot gets lost <laughs> in translation i always think of like it's one of the classic uh like vampire weaknesses. I think that if you throw rice on the ground, he has to bend down and pick them all up. And I'm like, you can't put that in a movie. It's like That's like in Leprechaun One how if you throw shoes on the ground, he has to stop and polish them. But that movie's funny. So it works. <laughs> Even though they kind of worked that out of the Leprechaun franchise, too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all point being. And yeah, it, it, it is really interesting that it's not just the script. It keeps coming up in all three that we're going to talk about and then isn't in the new movie, Wisely. Um, and uh, this scene ends with her and Trombley falling out of her like penthouse and hitting the ground, seemingly both dead. Then we, this is when we intro Donna Troy who wakes up and she's just had like a dream about all this. She feels like compelled to walk to where this crime scene is but not compelled to put on normal clothes cause you know, this movie's sexy. So she's just wearing like an <laughs> overcoat over her uh, 90s or whatever. Uh, We also introduce, who I think are from the comics, Detective Mike Shore and Dan Raspler. I was not familiar with them. But Mike Shore kind of becomes our our romantic lead for this. They find the dead body, but now it's just Trombley. Diana's gone. They find a locket of her hair, which will be important later. They find the canister with the nitronium in it, footprints leading away. Um, Donna comes up and kind of sees all this, and the cops see her, and... But you know that's just more planting seeds for later. And then we introduce our villain, who is Doctor Peter Psychopolis. Doctor
2: Psycho,
3: (laughs) who could not hear Tony Hale's. All I was picturing was Tony Hale when I
1: was reading it. (laughs) A hundred percent. Somebody tell us about Doctor Psychopolis, aka Doctor Psycho.
5: Oh boy, Um, the important (laughs) thing is is that this character is used in the new Harley Quinn animated series. That he's amazing now, in yeah, the they can, Harley they Quinn can series. Watch it on HBO Max and it's two seasons and he's voiced by Tony Hale. And he is, he's got a couple of different, obviously origins and power sets, but he's an old villain from the forties.
3: But wait, Hector, what in, in Harley Quinn? Cause I think this is actually important to the relationship yeah. in this script in Harley Quinn. What is the first thing that he got in trouble for?
5: He called Wonder Woman the c-word, like yes. when they were fighting so, in the streets, and it, so it got caught on the news. He's so he's a, a misogynist.
3: misogynist. <laughs> yes.
1: yes, and Same. that
5: has also pretty much stayed true in the comics. Although you read the comics, he's not going to be saying the c-word. That's not a <laughs> it's not a rated R thing. It's you know that's for the Harley Quinn show. But um, the other interesting thing about the character, I think, is that well, he has telekinetic abilities in the comics and in the Harley Quinn TV show. Originally, he was kind of a somebody who just used the occult and had like mystical powers in the 40s, but since updated in the 80s, again, that reboot after Crisis on Infinite Earths, he now is a, he has telepathy and telekinetic abilities. He can read minds and he can move things with his mind. The interesting thing about the character is that since the 40s and how he was originally drawn, it's, he's kind of been drawn as a little person and he has stayed that way. And sometimes it's kind of used for jokes in Harley Quinn kind of, but again, he's a bad guy. But oftentimes it's not really uh, hinted. It's not really touched on. It's just sort of like, it's like when Peter Dinklage played Bolivar Trask in X-Men Days of Future Past, you have a a fantastic actor who happens to be a little person and he's playing a role. The interesting thing about that role is that there was some, you know, you could read into it of like, oh, here's a guy who built robots to hunt down mutants in the X-Men world. And the robots themselves are so tall, they make regular people seem like they are smaller which is a cool little like psychology thing that is not explicit in that X-Men movie but you could read into it and you go that's interesting that that's there but Dr. Psycho has always sort of been drawn and portrayed as a little person and I can't recall if the script ever does anything that hints at that or describes him or anything I don't I can't remember but I could not hear anybody but Tony Hale <laughs> doing this insane Almost forky but like it was the craziest. I feel it's like so, it would have worked
1: as he's portrayed. He's definitely a comic villain. Yes. In this script.
5: Normally his name is Dr. Like uh um God, what's his comic book real name? It's like uh like
4: it's just a different re- spelling of psycho. It, uh, it it kind of looks Polish. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Psychopolis
3: is what it is in the script.
5: In the script, I was like, Psychopolis is not real. What are you doing? That's such a <laughs> funny like fake you know um uh I, I i gotta go it's on wikipedia i was looking at it earlier it's edgar cisco or cisco uh is oh. his last name maybe which is like c-i-z-k-o so it's like okay cisco i could okay maybe the guy's name is cisco okay edgar cisco sure and that could kind of sounds like psycho but this is straight up dr P Psychopolis. So when you you know <laughs> later you close the door on him and his, his name is on a on a door somewhere because he's a doctor. It looks like Doctor Psycho.
0: It it
3: was amazing that that see that just little <sighs> bit of stage direction and then we close the door and it spells out Doctor Psycho. It's like, he we hates being it. called
5: that. Okay, we all right. You're embarrassed <laughs> by the comic books. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it.
1: Speaking of comic books, we get much like we have Marston Towers, we get another reference uh, in here, which we meet another. So, DIA, which is the Defense Intelligence Agency, which I Googled and does not seem to be part of the DC Universe. So, that's original to this script. That is what like Trombley and Diana and the Cyrus character all worked for. And we get an agent, Charles M. Gaines. Uh, who is a reference to Maxwell Charles Gaines, who was the publisher of all American publications, which is where the Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Wonder Woman all started. And then either was sold to DC or merged. I'm not good with my uh, comics publisher's history. Uh, But looking that up, I realized like, oh, and uh, they also, he had educational comics, which his son, Bill Gaines, eventually Mm -hmm. turned into EC Comics, which published Tales from the Crypt. And everything, but anyway, so Charles Agent Charles Gaines is kind of a, a friendly minor antagonist who's getting in our hero's way. He comes to take the canister from the scene with the nitronium, you know, classic agent cop relationship with Detective Mike Shore of like, this is above your pay grade, buddy. I gotta take this. Um, it and now. Happen-
4: just Mike Shore, it, it comes from the it looks like they maybe they're drawing on the John Byrne era of Wonder Woman stuff here because he's created uh, during that time in Wonder Woman comics uh, and they're in Gateway City during that time. So that kind of all tracks.
1: It is always interesting what they choose to pluck from for these things that some kind of span different. Uh mythologies for the same character. But then we follow, so Donna, I guess I should specify, even though they describe her obviously as being super gorgeous or whatever, is also a classic like, but she's wearing glasses or whatever. So she's a dork and nobody notices her. Uh, So she goes to work. It has like a platonic friend character, coworker, Jeff. And she starts displaying uh, powers she doesn't realize, or she didn't have before, where she's like accidentally ripping doors off things and smashing things because she's so strong now. Um, And then basically this ends up leading to a whole thing. I'll kind of, I think I can condense sort of a lot of the middle of the movie here. She's displaying powers, doesn't really understand why. She's clearly like psychically drawn to something in her sleep. She ends up like, going to Diana's apartment and, like, opening a vault and finding stuff and then, like, waking up normal. We also realized that uh, Diana, when she was dealing with Trombley, had already switched out the nitronium. So, like, the feds and Dr. Psycho wind up with the wrong thing. It's like a shampoo bottle or something. And so Donna has the nitronium now, which she sort of just instinctively hid at work. And then there's all this stuff later where... Uh, she, I'm trying to remember if she does it on purpose, uh, or some of maybe else who had this remind me, she ends up like saving a church full of people who are being held hostage. And I can't remember if she decides to go do that or just kind of, she's like in a trance and does it. I
5: think it's like a dream thing. It was almost like Halle Berry and Catwoman where then the next day. And at the, by this point she gets like a wonder woman, Type or or Donna Troy Troya type suit like a black cat suit that they described very sexy. She's got bracelets and a lasso. Then the next morning after she does that after she saves people terrorists in, in a church they were they're shooting up a church she wakes up the next morning in her apartment and she's looking at the costume and she's like what did I do oh and it's still this like I can't believe I did that last night this is crazy. I hate this script. It's Hector, dumb. I,
3: <laughs> Hector. I, I, the first note I wrote down when I yeah. read this was it, just after the first two scenes with Di, with Diana with Wonder Woman was so she's Catwoman.
5: Yes, it's it's. I, it's, mean, it's, I mean, like
3: it's it, he clearly does not understand who Wonder an, Woman is. Right.
5: It's an, I think it's an early two thousands understanding of superheroes as being more Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde than like. No, no, no. The real character is the is the person, you know, like like it it really feels like a like they just can't like that the, the Alcott can't s- sort of wrap his brain around or the producers or whatever yeah she's also
3: tumbling around in like stiletto heels like it specifically says she's wearing boots that have a high heel on them but it's like and the way she's this is diana still uh i think it's diana i the the way that the women are decided described as being dressed i was like this is not this is not right
5: yeah (laughs) It, it also just to do a little side tangent we get a potential Wonder Woman TV show years from now from this point. That was maybe gonna come out in like 07 or something. Was it
3: the Adrian Adri- yes. Adri-
5: yeah Adrian Palaki from uh from gosh, what's the guy's name who did um David uh, E. Kelly. David E. Kelly. And apparently in that show, and the pilot was shot and it was never picked up, people have seen it. In that show, Wonder Woman and Diana Prince are almost like split personalities, like two different versions of a character where Wonder Woman is Wonder Woman and she's got a nice swanky apartment, but then also Diana Prince lets her be like a normal woman who has like a good job and He's she's kind of crapped quotes. on. Yeah. She's kind of crapped on at her work and she's just like, Oh, nobody understands me. And I like to eat ice cream on the couch and all this crap that like, you know, you'll see that women do in movies and TV shows and it doesn't feel real and stuff. So like, Which I feel like, yeah.
3: Very, which is, rather, is like a version of that is quite charming in Supergirl with Melissa Benoist. Right. And like, because it's just, it's not, it's a, and, and it never goes that far, right? It never goes as far as like, I'm just like everyone else. But, but, you know, Kara and Supergirl in the Melissa Benoist show yeah. is, you, you feel like she's, she's a more approachable, exactly. To, to
5: make this comparison for listeners today that I think would make more sense is Wonder Woman is closer to Thor as a superhero where totally. you are not gonna have a TV show, not even with fat Thor. That was just a joke to to get him back to his Thor self. Even if he's still chubby, he's still Thor at the end of that thing. But Wonder Woman, Diana Prince, to an extent, even Donna Troy as soon as she gets wrapped up in this world is all about the mythology, is all about this like larger than life superhero character. You can't normally have a sort of normal sitcom life or a normal cop procedural or a normal action movie Centered around these types of characters, I was frustrated reading the script up to this point because I felt like we we're spending more time with the male cops. That, that the script so was just like a, the cops. A, cop there's a whole movie thing to... here that I was
1: basically even gloss going to gloss over, but you know, where Mike uh, has the hair strand analyzed yep. uh, and has the nitronium analyzed and all this stuff. So yeah, there's there's some cop stuff here. Also, the typical thing of that all even good superhero movies have, where the superhero name comes from the news and someone just hated offhandedly it. hated it. <laughs> but it's just also funny because so, she's not Wonder Woman. No, she's right. not. But that, is, that is what that, they're talking about. They're talking about Donna yeah. Troy. I, I am not glossing over Diana Prince stuff. She is just out of the movie at this point. We don't know what's going on with her. This um, is what
4: they were gonna do with Sandra Bullock.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Just checking. Oh yeah. yeah, Steve, what were you gonna say?
2: No, yeah, yeah, no, the the, the, the these last, uh, yeah, this is the one for Sandra Bullock, absolutely.
1: Okay. I guess she must have have been. She's literally not in. But it makes you wonder: was she going to be the real Wonder 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 Woman or the fake Wonder Woman, Donna Troy? It sounds
5: like they maybe were trying to put the Donna Troy type character, who's more the regular woman, who learns that she's a part of the Wonder Woman world as the Sandra Bullock character, because she could have played that character. Yeah, and maybe they would get a Lucy Lawless or somebody else to be the stoic older but still looks 30 years old you, you can
1: almost imagine yeah. the notes of maybe yeah. one of the earlier scripts they wrote just a straight wonder woman movie like we're going to see in the other scripts and joel silver whoever being like this yeah. is ridiculous nobody can why, why can't it be like peter parker where she's bit by a magic whatever oh. and now she's got powers yeah. and, oh, I and then someone realized, mentioned cause... wonder girl and he was like oh more yeah. like that let's just do her
3: i do th- i just sorry go, go on, ahead go Amy. On. Oh, I was just gonna say real fast because I am a Sandra Bullock um, super fan, and uh, <laughs> as as I'm sure most of you know, and um, this draft of July twenty seven uh, two thousand one. Um, Miss Congeniality had come out the summer before Mm -hmm. in 2000. Mm -hmm. So she's playing a cop. She's Mm -hmm. doing that like girl next door, like clumsy, goofy thing. Um, very well. I might add probably the best of anyone, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, And, um, but also I just wanted to point out that that movie was huge, that movie made over a hundred million dollars domestically like that. And she was doing comedy. And, um, so I, that's the, that's an important, I think, context. If this is the Sandra Bullock thing, especially if she's going to play Donna Troy, because it's like, yeah, you can see Sandra Bullock, Gracie Lou from, you know, Mm Miss Congeniality Mm -hmm. accidentally ripping a door off of the thing and being goofy around her coworkers and like all of that kind of stuff.
1: I was going to, I was going to refer to it as a, Amanda Bynes-ish, but, uh, <laughs> sure. but uh, no, but, and it is very Spider-Man-y. Like you can tell that, that they want that kind of relatable, like the the every girl type character. And cause when she goes to work after this church scene we were talking about, and now is kind of like, lots of movies do this. So i think i don't know why i always think of wolf with jack nicholson where he's kind of first got his powers but hasn't started like really transforming and he's just like awesome at work now and it's like fuck you to all the people who usually give him <laughs> shit and she goes into work and now everyone's noticing her jeff her like platonic friend suddenly <laughs> asks her on a date and she's like wah wah wah. That's um true. and then she starts like meeting up with the detective and i mean really all of these scripts have this even the the finished movie has a little bit of it of the these just have more of it of the male characters always underestimating her and then the joke you know like where because her and mike go to diana's apartment and he's like trying to like pick the lock and the kind of predictable joke of like let me give it a shot and just kind of punches the door open and he's like whoa yeah
5: (laughs) i mean they just did that joke in captain marvel with Brie Larson and Sam Jackson. It worked very well in Captain Marvel. It's a, you know, it's- Sometimes it works. uh, Uh, Yeah.
1: But uh, it it does get a little tedious after a while too. Um, So yeah, and then this is where, I guess, if everyone wants to, or not everyone, uh, Amy and Clark, if you want to queue up these scenes to read. um, (laughs) So Mike, the detective, and Donna go back to Diana's apartment where where Donna had like slept walked to before and they open up this like secret vault behind a painting or something. Um, some of these details I get confused about because there's also a secret passage behind a painting in one of the later scripts. So things get yeah, blurred she has, in my mind. She
5: has a little, she has a little Wonder Woman mm-hmm. cave in her super nice swanky apartment. <laughs> yeah, they, full of they... like,
1: arca- like ancient weapons and Wonder Woman outfits. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a bat cave. She has yeah. a bat cave. Yeah, she has a sure. bat walk-in closet because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, she's a woman she can't have a cave She's got to have a walk-in cl- right. closet <laughs> that's right that's right um all right if you guys want to get ready to read this scene i'm ready in the script so uh amy will be playing donna troy and clark will be playing uh well we'll, we'll leave that as a surprise <laughs> who you're playing um i'll read the blocking but i'll kind of skim through some of this stuff here so it doesn't get too tedious. But basically they go into this walk-in closet. Uh, Donna like touches something and starts having even more visions like she was having before, but now they like fully envelop her and suddenly she finds herself uh, in exterior temple day. She's on this like crazy fantasy land. She doesn't really know where they are. A group of Amazons drop to where Donna is, each one alighting with no more than a whisper as if she were no heavy, as if they were, yeah, or alighting her. Uh, as though she were no heavier than a feather, blah blah blah. Donna is flatly amazed, eyes wide, trying to take it all in. Um, hi. Her voice echoes dull and flat in the broad atrium. The Amazons do not respond. Nice place you got here. The Amazons smile slyly at her. It's unnerving. Okay,
4: feeling a little self-conscious here,
1: guys. Hippolyta, their leader, who will be, I assume, some big, expensive guest star, a <laughs> uh, particularly tall, statuesque Amazon in a particularly elaborate, smashing ensemble, drops down behind her and lights, regal and poised. Donna does not see her; she keeps talking to the others.
3: I'm Donna. Hmm. Donna. We know who you are.
1: Donna, startled, whips around, jumping out of her skin. Oh,
3: God. We've been waiting for you. Where am I? Where are you? You're home. An Amazon loves to wander, but she always comes home. The mascara. And you're who, Glinda?
4: Hippolyta. Great. Look, don't take this personally, but whoever you are, I just want my life back. Can you do that? Can you give me my life back? But you have your gauntlets. Oh, these! These aren't mine. I, a friend's letting me wear them. I...
3: Your powers. You've noticed them?
1: Donna whips around to see her again.
3: Oh, a little, yeah. The flying thing was a surprise. Oh, silly. A woman can't fly. What you have is a finely tuned sense of balance. When you have that, you can balance on the smallest wisp of air. It seems you have much to learn.
1: Suddenly, Hippolyta and Donna are in a different part of the temple. Blah, 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 blah.
3: The Amazons were once enslaved by the Greek general, Heracles, our wrists were bound, unspeakable deeds were acted upon us. It took the blood of hundreds to win our freedom. We wear our gauntlets made from silver, given us by Gaia, to remind us of the preciousness of our freedom. If an Amazon allows her wrists to be bound by a man, she loses all of her powers until she is again unbound. That's great. Um, I gotta go. But... Look, I don't
4: know who you are or what you want, but I, you know, this is the 21st century, and people don't really believe in the Greek gods anymore.
1: She turns and walks away and runs right into Hippolyta again. Ah, You scared me. Hippolyta makes a gesture, and suddenly they are 30 feet away from where they were, blah, 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 blah.
3: 60 years ago, an unprecedented event. An airplane from Man's World crashes on our island. A man, Captain Stephen Trevor, comes into our world for the first time in millennia. His world is in the midst of its most dire and important conflict, and Diana, always a soft touch for a hard luck story, goes with him to set it right. What's that?
1: I guess I should note, some of the stuff I'm over is just describing how the mosaics on the wall are coming alive and animating what they're talking about.
3: The Lasso. Hephaestus, the thunder god, made it with his hammer and anvil. It's unbreakable. Its aim is always true. And it can compel a man to tell the truth. Uh, Am I right,
1: ladies? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then they switch locations again.
3: This is who you are, Donna. This is your heritage. This is your home. But you've come without Diana. Is she alright? I... I don't know. Why wouldn't she be alright? Because you've come into your powers. Because I... I'm sorry, you've lost me. The Amazons never leave a fallen warrior behind. We cannot leave the Maskira. Therefore, it's up to you. Up to me what? I've never even met her. I don't know who she is or where. Of course you know. You must know, Donna. Diana is your mother. Dun,
1: dun, dun She
3: No. But don't you know? In man's world, the only way an Amazon daughter gains power is when her mother loses hers.
4: No. No, I I was unaware of that.
3: Your mother is in grave danger, Donna. You must find her.
4: No, no, sorry, you,
3: I can't. Donna, wake up, wake up.
1: Which of course transitions to Mike being like, wake up, wake up, back in the real world. Uh, End scene, yay.
3: The remi- the jumping around in the time and space, you know, like as they're having the conversation reminds me of Thor Ragnarok when Doctor Strange is talking to
1: Thor. Mm-hmm. And
3: they kind of like are jerking around and it's something, something's like not quite right, but it's better in Thor Ragnarok. Uh,
1: but <laughs> Amy, when you were talking earlier about how they keep redoing her backstories, uh, it's funny mm-hmm. knowing that was coming and just this specific backstory they decided upon.
4: Yeah. And it it's, it is fascinating to, to have that new wrinkle to it. In in some ways, it is a very Donna Troy experience to get a magical new origin that connects you to Wonder Woman in a way you never did before. So I guess that on some level works. It... It does feel like this whole approach is from a time when everyone was terrified that people would never go to movies about Captain America or Thor. And they were like, we just need like, like an everyman point of view character that will actually follow uh, because nobody can relate to that stuff. And as it turns out, like audiences are just much more capable of caring about things <laughs> yeah. than they are often given credit mm-hmm. for. Uh, and and like they even, I think after these drafts, Jay Michael Straczynski did a version of a Wonder Woman reboot in the comics where it was like, make sure it's just like an ordinary person who will eventually find out all this stuff because they're just always sort of terrified that they can't cross that hurdle of making you invest in this world and care about it so Mm -hmm. i can see what's operating in the scene here but it is weird because you just get donna being like nope 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 not (laughs) gonna who are you bye like and that's the whole scene yeah
5: this this also was the sort of first time we see Themiskira and hippolyta and it's like 70 pages into this script yeah like it's like in the middle of the or towards the back end of the movie and it's also wild to me that these storytellers and and creatives and filmmakers were like, "Yeah, let's do the Wonder Woman movie where Wonder Woman will die, and then another woman will get her powers. But only one Wonder Woman dies because there can only be one powerful, woman, be one powerful woman in a superhero so Amazon magic
3: works. I, I feel
4: like blew that part's my new. mind.
5: blew my mind and 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 yeah just was was just asking the questions of because I know that in like the variety write-up when Alcott was announced as the writer I think they also mentioned some other um uh women producers that were like on the Joel Silver team or whatever and I was just like how many women are in this room that are able to raise their hand and go maybe don't Maybe maybe do a story where it's not dependent on you only get powers once your mother dies, which is another weird like h- okay. how do we view women in society and how do you know, like it, it's it just feels I just kept comparing it to would they have ever made a Superman movie where some dude is like what I'm part Kryptonian. Yeah, but you only got your Kryptonian powers now that kal Al is dead. Anyway, let's <laughs> mo- like audiences <laughs> be like you can't just kill Superman. He's a beloved hero. You can't do that. And that's never, uh, uh, it seems, maybe, you know, again, we weren't there, but it doesn't seem like that is all a hindrance in this version of the story. It also just highlights the,
1: the, I think, disconnect um, pre, you know, the rise of the superhero movies, I think, with, I mean, I think even your average person, but certainly these, like, older higher-ups of these companies who don't know anything about these characters. Like, my favorite example, uh, and Steve, that was... Menachem Golan, right, We're From we'll be in our Spider-Man episodes, that he knew Spider-Man was famous, got mm-hmm. the rights, but in his mind, Spider-Man was like the Wolfman. He got <laughs> bit by a spider and then he turns into a yeah. giant spider monster. But Spider-Man well, also- was a famous character. He knew the name, he knew it was famous, but he didn't know anything about it.
2: He also thought he was a ninja.
1: Yeah. I think that was, that was after someone's like, no, 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 Spider-Man's not yeah. a <laughs> creature. They showed him a picture and he's like, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, ninja, got it.
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> Dressed like a ninja. Well, I, I, yeah.
3: I, you know, it's funny that you all mentioned though, I'm glad for a little context that maybe this was the Sandra Bullock one and Sandra Bullock would have been maybe playing Wonder, Donna Troy, and then like a Lucy Lawless would be playing Diana Prince because I have in my notes, like, Is this a sequel to a movie that we never saw? Because, like, we spend no time, we don't get to know, you know, Diana at all. We don't establish the world of Wonder Woman in the least. And so, even if you're going in the last, you know, the last time Wonder Woman was like on TV, or or, that's the 70s. Right. And on top, but but now that you say that, um, audiences know who Sandra Bullock is. They know what that shtick is. And so we don't actually need, you probably, if you cast Sandra Bullock, you don't need to spend time teaching the audience who Donna Troy is because Donna Troy is Sandra Bullock. And meanwhile, Mm. Lucy Lawless is Xena. So you don't need to teach the audience who that is. That's Lucy Lawless. And so if honestly, it fills in so many blanks knowing these types. But also, I also want to point out, as you were just talking, with the matrix of it all, the neo, I'm just a guy. I don't want this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like you know and then oh but I know kung fu oh but I magically have powers like Donna Troy in this script magically dreams that she does all these things and now she can fly and it's like okay. I And then Morpheus is going to like teach you the thing, yep. but then he's going to go on. It so feels like, like
5: the, the producers are like, yeah, yeah, let's just get this one out of the way. And, and then Wonder Woman 2, then Sandra Bullock can really be Wonder right. Woman. But we need to spend a whole movie right. letting audiences in on this world in the easiest way possible. There'll be terrorists, there'll be a snow hotel, and there'll be a scene where a chief of police says, give me your badge, turn in your badge. <laughs> because that's what audiences <laughs> like. Yeah, I
1: just say, because Mike Scharr loses his badge because he uh, was doing too much detective work that they told him not to do. Uh,
4: Is the power inheritance like a Buffy swipe? Clark, you usually spot the 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 Buffy references and things. Is that you mean, like if
3: the like if one Slayer dies, the next one, they're just
4: like, oh, that's a concept people understand.
3: Um, I think it's less of that and more of like just the assumed, I don't think that, I don't, wouldn't necessarily assign that to a Buffyism. Okay. Um I think it's just more of like what exactly what Hector said. No, we can only have one powerful woman. What are you, crazy? So, well, and, she got it. And speaking of how enough. far
1: we're in before we get the backstory, which, I mean, basic structure rules make sense unless you're, you've been dying to, see the normal story (laughs) you expected um we don't actually get back to diana prince until like page 80 something when they find out she's been in a coma in a hospital because she's still got her wrists bound in this goo and they go there and donna breaks the goo off her hand and now diana's back and then we very briefly get our like indiana jones and the last crusade stuff where it's both of them together and then pretty much almost immediately Diana has to sacrifice herself to save Donna uh, and now full on dies uh, and is now, I mean, uh, jumping ahead, it's all pretty standard. You know, once Donna's got her full powers, then she has to fight the, or stop the giant bomb that Dr. Psycho was making with the nitronium Wins, Of course, he underestimates her some more because she's a woman, um, but she shows him. And then it kind of ends with this implication uh, where Mike is asking Donna she thinks that Diana's really dead. And it's like, well, what's the exact line they say here? Oh, Hippolytus yeah. said that an Amazon loves to wander, but she always comes home. So they maybe go back she'll be back.
5: The, yeah, they go back to the hospital and like the bed's empty, or they go to the ambulance. The sorry, ambulance she was is pulled empty. out yeah. in a stretcher, and the ambulance is empty, so she must have got away. A- at this point, the Mike character got shot as well. And almost killed, but then he throws one of the one of the bad guy cops like down an elevator shaft. Yeah, his or something. partner
1: Dan turned yeah. out to be. Evil. Donna
5: Donna goes to Mike and she's like, "Are you okay?" He goes, "It's fine. The bullet went through. Go check on Diana." So he gets to have a bullet go through, but Diana Wonder yes. Woman got shot in the chest and she's down and she's dying. There's this long apology. I'm sorry, you know, Steve and I wanted you to have a normal life. That's why we gave you up. I'm sorry, Donna, I didn't want this for you to be all secretive. And now you have to be a spy and a superhero. And then she dies and Donna doesn't cry. The script makes sure to point out that she does not cry because she stoically holds it together, goes and stops Dr. Psycho. She says to Dr. Psycho, you killed my mother, you know, finishes him. He gets accidentally killed because he messes up and then like the helicopter or jet or whatever that he's in like falls over a cliff and explodes.
1: Well, very specifically, end, she's uh, kind of Captain America style is stopping him from flying away with yep. the lasso. And he's like, I'm just going to cut this lasso with my own helicopter blades. And it yeah. like snaps all the blades off and then it just falls.
5: Yeah, so he, he goes, oh shit, and then dies. And at the <laughs> end, like Josh is describing, it's the guy, Mike, who's healing. <laughs> it's Donna and they're in a boat in like the harbor or in the bay for the San Francisco type city. And when they're there, then then he mentions like, you know, she's gone. Like she wasn't. She wasn't in the ambulance or whatever. Do you think that Diana's still alive? And you know, she goes. She she quotes Hippolyta with that line, and so. that's funny, like, Woman of
1: course is... she's still alive. Where else did she go? Yeah. Unless they're yeah. they're adding that new wrinkle that they're like. Unless she's a force ghost, she's and they just. <laughs> ghost or the things from the dark crystal, and they die and evaporate. Yeah.
5: My main takeaway from this script was that it felt like, like Charlie's angels. It felt like this late nineties, early 2000s spy action movie that they kind of crammed the mythology of wonder woman into it felt like they were afraid to embrace the character of Diana or couldn't write a version to have audiences connect to Diana because she is so much above it all in many ways, um, that they went with the Sandra Bullock type Donna and, um, I just it's it some of those some of those decisions of of how she awakens with her powers, but is all kind of in a dream state and wakes up the next morning. It feels like they really wanted it to be this classic Jekyll Hyde thing. And um, yeah, we spent way too much time with the male cops. (laughs) I want to mention, too, I just watched a documentary on Disney Plus about uh, Pixar. They have these little mini episodes about how things are done at Pixar. It, this, this woman, this producer at Pixar, who um, she, actually is not a producer. I think she's a line producer. I think she's like somebody who's working in production, one of the heads of production. She created recently in the past couple of years a tool that all of their scripts are run through at Pixar that has since been adopted by Disney and other studios. And she's won an award for it and she's getting recognition. The tool just lays out the demographics of a script how many women characters are in this versus how many male characters, how many women have speaking lines, are named, all of these different things that when presented as data, um, before when presented as like, you know, statistics, would uh, male producers and female producers in Hollywood the past five, 10 years would acknowledge, yeah, this is a problem, there's definitely, it's uneven. But when this tool came out and was actually presented as factual data with numbers, this is the percentage, this is what it is, it, I think led to, I haven't seen the movie yet. It hasn't come out yet, but Pixar's movie soul has like a 50% male and female speaking roles in the film, which is great, which seems like it's the no brainer, but it's this, it's this, it's been utilized in a really cool way. I read the script and I just thought this has got to be like an 80, 20, this has got to be like a 70, 30. Like I felt like it's so many more male characters and spending time with them and, and um, Once you
1: factor in Doctor Psycho and his absolutely. sidekick O'Neill and everything, there As are literally the, two yeah.
3: female characters in this. Oh, I'm sorry, three, including Hippolyta.
5: Yes,
3: like and in a cast of ten or something. I yeah. mean, it's, it's crazy.
5: Yeah, yeah. I
3: it's such a persistent problem. In, in it shows up
4: even in a lot of my favorite Wonder Woman stories. And uh, it 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 makes it very very rewarding when someone's like, "What if also." Other women, Uh, which I will just throw it back to. Look, the 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 before I endorse them too heavily, the original Wonder Woman comics are problematic in a ton of ways that relate to being made in the '40s, and you will run into some unpleasant surprises in terms of depicting our international uh, opponents in World War II. Um, But you will also run into some like solid gold good stuff. Uh, And part of it is that like even in those earliest stories, Steve Trevor's there, but usually Wonder Woman is saving the day, uh, aided by. A band of anarchic college girls uh, led by Etta Candy, <laughs> who within the world of Wonder Woman are comedy characters, but also like they save the day just constantly. Like they're. Awesome. Even the original comics managed to put other women in the stories in a way that keep they keep falling out. Anytime you adapt it to other mediums, anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll uh, say, Etta Candy doesn't appear in any of these scripts we're going to be talking I about. I mean, she's
4: got an unfortunate name, but it turns out <laughs> you can really pull that character off if you uh, do her yeah. right. Thank you, Twenty Seventeen. Yeah, good casting.
1: Um, well, I think this is actually a perfect spot to hit pause uh, before moving on to the next script. Um, why don't you guys uh, share your social media handles for our listeners?
3: My as Instagram and Twitter at Clark Wolf, Clark with an E, Wolf with an E.
4: I'm Enthusiamy, basically everywhere. E n t h uh, u s i a m y.
5: And I'm at Twitter and Instagram at Hector is funny.
1: And you can find us on uh, Instagram and on Twitter at Never Made Film. And please check out the Electric Now app. It is a free app that allows you to watch movies and TV shows and, more importantly, video from this podcast and our fellow sister podcasts, like Inglorious Trexperts and The 430 Movie. I think you might enjoy it. I also want to say thank you to Bill Ritter and everyone here at the Electric Surge Network, including our producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So until next time, this is Steve Scarlatta and Josh Miller saying, we won't see you at the movies. Hmm.